Don't you do it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. If you are here last week, you know what Scott did. Y'all remember that during the, right before the welcome time, he kept playing. That's right. I, our trust, man. We've got to work on our trust issues. <laughs> uh, we're, we're still in our sermon series tonight. We're calling it the, <coughs> excuse me, the big four. And go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of the wonderful, amazing book of Isaiah. You know, when I was growing up, occasionally, my mother would say, we've talked about this before, but my mother would say something that I used to believe would be the worst thing that any mother could ever say to her child. Just this one statement, this one phrase could put me in a funk, ruin my mood, ruin my appetite, ruin the rest of my day. And that one statement was, you just wait, why? Until your father gets home. That just meant one thing. Capital punishment. You know what I mean? It's, it's coming. I used to think those were the worst words that a mother could ever say to a child. And I thought it was mean. But upon further review and reflection, uh, I, she may not have realized it. But I think that she is actually getting me ready for life. Let me tell you what I mean. Trouble comes to everybody. Hard times come to everybody. Sometimes it comes when we deserve it. And sometimes it comes when we don't deserve it, right? We, we don't see it coming. Uh, I've learned that if you talk to anybody long enough, everybody has experienced heartache and disappointment and heartbreak. Given enough time, life gives everybody a shot to the jaw when you're not even looking. And I believe the verse that we're going to be looking at tonight, I believe that that explains why this verse is so popular with so many people. Again, we're in our sermon series called The Big Four. And what we're looking at are the four most shared bookmarked highlighted Bible verses from that YouVersion app in the previous year. And so we, um, we started with the fourth most popular one. And these aren't in your notes, but look at this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Um, this is our first verse we dealt with. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then last week, we looked at the third most popular verse, Matthew 6, verse 13. It says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so now we're at the, this verse tonight, and it's one that has been seen and heard, not just in the Bible, but in movies and in books and in speeches. As a matter of fact, look at this next slide. I remember when George W. Bush was being sworn in he, on January 20th, 2005, to take the oath for a second term, he had his hand on the Bible, which each president does, but he had it turned to the verse that we're going to look at tonight. This is a very popular verse, and we're going to study it. Look there in your Bible, Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, as we get into this verse, let me give you a little bit of context behind what's going on here. At the height of its power, Israel was the greatest nation on earth. They had two of the greatest kings who have ever uh, been on planet earth. They had David and then they had Solomon. And after Solomon died, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms for reasons we don't have time for tonight. But of the 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of the tribes formed the northern kingdom of Israel and two tribes formed the southern kingdom of Israel. Judah. Both kingdoms, however, even after they split, fell into spiritual decline. They rebelled against God and they rebelled against his laws. So God sent prophets to both kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, to call them back their spiritual renewal, revival, and, but they refused to listen. Their spiritual decline lasted around 350 years. 
until finally the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., and they were led into exile. And then 136 years after that, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah fell to the Babylonians. The temple was destroyed, and the city of Jerusalem was left desolate. The, the northern kingdom was lost forever at that point, but a remnant of the southern kingdom was allowed to return to the promised land to establish the Jewish homeland. And ult, that's basically Old Testament history in a nutshell right there. That introduces us to one of the greatest prophets in all of the word of God, Isaiah. In Isaiah's day, Jerusalem is under siege. God has revealed to Isaiah that the nation is absolutely going to fall. They're going to be taken in exile. The city of Jerusalem is going to be leveled, and Judah will be no more. So what did God say? Look in your Bible, Isaiah 39 and verse 6. Let's go back. Let's get this context. Isaiah 39, verse 6. God said, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And so Isaiah, probably like many people, thought you would think there's nothing left to do but wait on the trouble that's to come. The future looks bleak. The future looks short. Things aren't looking too good. The dam of God's judgment had broken, and nothing could stop the flood that was about to come onto the nation, uh, these, the people of Judah. So God's people are about to face the most difficult, most trying, the most discouraging, faith-testing season in all of their history. The promised land, Jerusalem, the temple, no more. Lost, captured, and destroyed. No one was more depressed, more discouraged, uh, more disappointed than the prophet Isaiah. But out of this darkness comes this ray of hope when God gives Isaiah this principle. And this is kind of our key thought for tonight. Write this down. Don't wait on trouble that is going to come. Wait on the Lord who will deliver you through it. Write that down. We don't need to be waiting on trouble. We talked about that a little bit this morning when we were talking about measuring our days. Now is the time. Now is the time to act, and now is the time uh, to act and surrender to Jesus. In other words, some people are living their life. They're not rejoicing in the day the Lord has given up today because they're waiting for the trouble that's to come tomorrow. But in this passage of scripture, God tells Isaiah what to do when you know that trouble is coming or you're already in trouble. When life becomes unbearable, when uh, storms get too strong, you're out of hope, out of time, and no way at all do you know what to do. Here's what you do. Write this down. With God, now all this is with God, we need to be confident. With God, we should be confident. Now the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish people weren't too happy about their situation. I wouldn't be either. They couldn't believe that God would allow his holy city and the temple and his people to be taken by these pagan Babylonians. They were asking the same thing we all tend to ask when there's times of trouble. Does God not know what's happening? Does God hear our prayers? Does God even care what's going on? And look what God said. Look at verse 27, Isaiah 40, verse 27. God knows what they're thinking. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. They're acting as if God doesn't see what's going on. God doesn't care about their prayers. Why doesn't God do something? And listen to his response. It's in that next verse, after verse 27 and verse 28. He says, have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now, of course, the people of Israel knew about God and all of those things. They'd heard about God, but they had totally forgotten who God really was, and they needed to be reminded. So God here in this verse reminds them of a few different things. First, it's this. Write this down, that he is indeed the everlasting God. He's not limited by time. He's not restricted by space. He is the creator and the controller of the universe. They thought they could put God on the clock. Many times we do that, right? God, you've got to work according to my timetable. Or maybe uh, you've done this like them. They wanted to put God in a box. You've got to do it my way. They thought they could put God to the test. If you let this land and this city fall to those pagan Babylonians, what kind of God are you anyway? You can't do any of those things with our God. He is the everlasting God. And next, write this down. His understanding is unsearchable. His understanding is unsearchable. That's what that verse says. We can know God, love God, talk to God, serve God, worship God, but we can never, ever fully understand everything about God. I mean, you've heard the expressions. There's innumerable of them. But, you know, a God that you can fully understand is a pretty small God, right? I don't understand my wife some days. Amen? No, I'm being serious, right? Or your husband, it goes both ways. I don't understand my kids all the time. And if I, if I get to that thinking that somehow that this everlasting God whose ways are unsearchable, his understanding is unsearchable, that I'm going to have him completely figured out and understand everything about all things all the time that he is doing, I'm setting myself up for failure. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We may not know what we are doing, but there's never a time when God doesn't know what he is doing. We may not know where we're going, but there's never a time where God doesn't know where we are going, okay? We may not understand why, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a reason why. We may never totally figure God out, uh, but if you try, you're really setting yourself up for failure. Look at this next slide. This is, you might recognize this guy's name, William Jennings Bryant. He was the, uh, the attorney in the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925 that's trying to defend the Bible against evolution. Uh, but uh, he said something really uh, uh, smart one time, something I really liked when it comes to the mystery of God. He compared the mystery of God to a watermelon seed. And let me quote him. He said this. He said, I have observed the watermelon seed. It has the power of drawing from the ground and through itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can tell me how it takes this material and out of it colors an outside surface beyond the imitation of art and then forms in it a white rind and within that again a side of red heart thickly inlaid with black seeds and each one of these black seeds capable of drawing to itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can explain to me the mystery of a watermelon, then you can explain to me the mystery of God. We can't, we just don't know everything. The point though is that when you're facing trouble and the hard times come, you can be confident in a God who is everlasting and whose understanding is beyond your understanding. And also we may get tired, write this down. See, our God never faints and he never grows weary. Anybody ever get tired? You ever get weary? There are times we get tired and we want to quit. And so we figure God gets tired. He wants to quit. Well, we're wrong. We're wrong. This is what God does. Look in verse 29, Isaiah 40, verse 29. It says, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. When you look at God in the middle of your troubles and through your difficulties and all the different times and you trust God completely, he will give you 
uh, his power. When you feel weak, that's when you can have his strength. When you're full of your own strength, though, that's when you're not going to have the strength of God in your life. Look at verse 31 again, Isaiah 40, 31. It said, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew what? Their strength. Now, you may, I want you to understand this. In the Hebrew, that word there, for those who wait on the Lord shall renew, that word renew also literally means exchange. Exchange. And so those who wait on the Lord shall exchange their strength. Now, you know what exchange, you know all about exchange the day after Christmas. Amen? Exchange. Anytime you want to, when you're at your weakest, you can look at God and you can change your, your, uh, your weakness for his strength. Look at this next slide. The Christian life is not just a changed life, it's an exchanged life. And it's just like salvation. You, you bring nothing to the table. You take everything away. You bring nothing but your sin. He brings nothing but righteousness. You bring nothing but your, all the times that you have failed, and he brings his holiness and his perfection. The Christian life is an exchanged life. The daily Christian life is an exchanged life. When we surrender to him and we trust him, and when we're weak and we're not strong, we know that he never falters, he never fails, and he never grows weary. God is the greatest strength coach that's ever lived, okay? And Tennessee could use one. And he will strengthen you and enable you to weather any storm, okay? You can be confident in him because of who he is. And so with God, we know that we have these things. But number two, write this down. Also, with God, we need to be patient. With God, when we're with, we need to be patient. One of the things that irritates a lot of women that are married is their husbands. Have you noticed that? <laughs> a little trend I've picked up on? No. One of the things that aggravates many women with their husbands is the fact that their husbands are kind of fixers by nature. Fixers. I don't mean they're handy around the house necessarily, and they can fix everything. But whenever uh, a wife starts sharing with her husband about her problems, the husband a lot of times is like, get to the end of the story so I can tell you how to fix it. Right? You're right. We're just like, come on, come on, come on. And God only knows how many times a woman has looked at her husband and said, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Right? That was probably the attitude of the people of Judah had when God gives them this piece of advice as they face their storm. Look in verse 31 again. It said, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew, exchange their strength. Wait? You want me to wait? The wolves are at the door. The enemy is here. We're about to leave. You want me to wait? Now, get, wait actually has two meanings. Um, um, and the, one of the meanings is to wait. Do I need to explain that to you? <laughs> you just wait, right? Guys, this is what you were doing this morning, waiting for your wife to get ready for church, okay? Boom, boom, boom. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm kidding. I'm Kalisha, baby. I love you. You were ready before me, okay? I'm in so much trouble. I better shut up. But you understand the concept of wait, don't you? You know what it means uh, to wait uh, for someone or for somebody to wait on you. Uh, one of the greatest things scripture teaches us one of the greatest things that we can do when we're facing a storm is simply to get along with God and wait The wisest man who ever lived said this proverbs eight thirty four about waiting He said blessed is the man who listens to me watching daily in my gates waiting at the posts of my door 
And this is talking about taking time to get along with God, sitting at his feet, patiently waiting on God and, and ready to serve and do whatever God asks you to do. When you're waiting on God, you're simply saying, God, I'm dependent, totally dependent on you, right? Uh, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless without you, but I'm confident in you, the everlasting God. In other words, it's the same thing that we sing when we sing that song, Trust and Obey. We wait on God. I can testify, you know, what's, what's that expression? Good things come to those who wait, right? I can testify to that. Y'all remember the story about the first time I tried to ask Alicia out? I better quit. The first time I, I'm not though. Uh, the first time I asked, y'all know the story where I called her and she was eating? And she said, okay, I'm going to tell it again because there's one person that doesn't know it. All right, so I called her. Her girlfriend had given me her phone number. And so I called her and I was like, I was like hey, how's it going? And, she, and she's like, who is this? <laughs> and I was like, well, it's Marcus. You know, we met the other night. How did you get my number? She never told like that. I'm going to make you, that's how you talk. How did you get my number? And I was like, oh, your friend gave it to me. Oh, she did? Yeah, she said that you would want me to call. And I'm, I'm feeling like a big loser. And then she's like, well, I'm eating right now. Can you call back later? And I said, yeah. And hung up the phone. And then I didn't. I didn't call her back. I had to wait for her to call me back. Amen? Good things come <laughs> to those who wait. Okay, that's the moral of the story. Be patient with God and in his timing. Alicia, we'll finish that meal and call you back a week later. Amen? <laughs> we need to be patient and wait uh, on the Lord. Uh, number, I don't know where I'm at in this sermon no more. Number three, write this down. With God, we also need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. Now, that word wait, I just gave you one of those meanings, wait. You know what it means to wait on somebody, two meanings. But there's a, another meaning to wait that's also implied in this passage, and it doesn't mean passively sitting around and not doing anything, waiting on God to act. When you're waiting on the Lord, and while you're waiting on the Lord, you continue to obey the Lord, serve the Lord, right? Walk with the Lord, love the Lord. Many believers, when they hit that season of waiting, that means stopping. Stopping. How many believers do you know that you've known in your life that over uh, the years, that when something bad happened, when there was a season in their life where they didn't understand what was going on and they were probably in their own way waiting on the Lord, they fall out of church, they fall out of fellowship, right? They don't serve God like they used to. They're not committed like they used to be. That's not the picture of waiting that we get in Scripture. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we're waiting for him to do something for us. It means we're doing something for him. Have you ever walked into a, a, a store or a restaurant and they would ask you, Has, uh, have you been waited on? Has anyone waited on you? Uh, is something, what, what do they mean when they say that? Is someone serving you? And when we wait on the Lord, it's the same picture. right? What does a waiter do in a restaurant? He doesn't sit in some kind of hypnotic trance you know, waiting for you to get your own food. And well, I've met a couple that probably did, but most of them do a great job, uh, right? They're serving you. Their sole purpose of being there is to take your order and to fulfill that order. While we're waiting on the Lord, we're to be serving him, taking his order and obeying his commands. Too often when the storms hit though, we just kind of do the opposite or we just do the other version. We just wait and we question God, forsake God, forget God. And some people even quit on God. And you know, what that, you know what that actually does, though? We think, I'm in a storm, and I just can't handle it right now, and we kind of pull back from God. And then what happens is that makes the storm even worse. 
But to those who wait, in the biblical sense, this is what happens. Look at verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like, well, it's supposed to say eagles. It's not all there, is it? It's not in my notes either. We left the word off. Amen. That's the Marcus Kelly translation. It was a weird thing. <laughs> Listen, God wants us to fly above the storm. God never wants us to be under our circumstances. He wants our circumstances to be under him, and therefore we'll be over our circumstances. Look at this next slide. And that word that's missing there is, is that an eagle with a gator in its claws? <laughs> that is so weird that that picture on this weekend of all weekends... You would think that Alicia could have found a regular picture. She didn't find that picture. I just, I just Googled eagles, and that's what came up. Okay, I've got you a picture. <laughs> that would have been better if we'd won. Amen. Listen, eagles are amazing birds. I'll look these facts up for you. Uh, they can fly up to an altitude of 10,000 feet. They've got 7,000 feathers. They can fly 50 miles per hour. It can actually hit a, uh, a dive and get up to 100 miles per hour. Uh, they have unusual eyes. They have a million light-sensitive cells per square millimeter of retina. In other words, their eyes are a minimum of five times better than you. And while humans see just three basic colors, eagles actually see five basic colors. Um, and all, when you, their range of vision and everything, their vision is actually about seven times better. At 10,000 feet in the air, a bald eagle can spot prey over three square miles away. They can see both forward and sideways at the same time. Some of you mamas wish you could do that, right? You could look at the preacher and look at your kid. Quit it. I see you. Listen, uh, uh, a bald eagle can spot an animal the size of a rabbit over two miles away. Let me tell you what's even more fascinating about it. And you've heard this before, but it's the idea of how eagles like to fly over the storm. Isn't that amazing how they fly over the storm? They know that those thermal updrafts will actually raise them up higher. And most storms really aren't a threat to an eagle because they just ride above it and they cruise above it. As a matter of fact, a storm enables an eagle to see further and to go further and to go faster in many, many ways. So what is God telling Isaiah here? He's saying in the middle of our troubles, God wants us where he is. He wants us up above. We want, he wants us to have his perspective and see our storms and troubles from his point of view. And what is his point of view? God is above every storm. God is above every circumstance. He's above every thunderstorm, above every raindrop. As long as you're flying with God, you don't have to worry about a storm. God also says this to those who wait. Look at verse 31 again. They shall run and not be weary. God is also in the storm. There are times when there's a crisis in our life, maybe a budget. I mean, you're in a hurry. You have to hustle. You have to run. You cannot walk around life all the time like some Tibetan monk, you know, humming Hymns, I don't know what you would do. Sometimes you got to hustle. Amen? You've got to run. Y'all don't look like y'all are hustlers. Y'all don't look like you know what I'm talking about. You've got a deadline. It's got to be done. I know in the life of the preacher, Sunday's coming whether you're ready or not. Sometimes you have to hustle and you've got to run. There are times in life where we can't afford to slow down. We got to move. Here's what God promises. Look at this next slide. God will give you the strength to do, to do everything that he has called you to do each and every day. God will give you the strength to do every day all that he calls you to do. Uh, what a doc, They tell us that when an emergency hits, our bodies release that strength we don't know we had. Our glands go to work, and, 
and um, uh, that adrenaline pumps into our bloodstream, and we're able to, that's what you hear about mamas picking cars up off their babies and, and all of those kinds of things. Listen, God has an infinite amount of spiritual adrenaline that he'll give us in our hour of trouble to enable us to run and not grow weary, to do what he's called us to do. When we get really tired, and sometimes I get tired, maybe you don't, some of you look tired right now, and, but, but when I get really tired, often I find I probably wasn't doing exactly what what God wanted me to do. I'm getting busy with other things. I'm getting distracted. God also says this to those who wait. Look at verse 31 again. It says, they shall walk and not faint. It's one thing to fly. It's another thing to run. It's just uh, another thing facing everyday life while you walk. I just, it's just a new thing that I've kind of been uh, meditating on, thinking on, and looking on in Scripture. And many times, the average Christian, there's almost this guilt because you're not a missionary. There's almost this sense that your life doesn't have meaning because you're not witnessing to pygmies in a jungle somewhere. Or you're not a preacher. That somehow you're not out there selling the seven seas, taking the gospel to the nations. By the way, if you, if you support this church financially, you are. You are supporting missions. may or may not know that. And if God's calling you to missions, and we're going to be doing a lot of missions work in the years ahead. But if God is calling you to be a missionary, you come tonight during the invitation, surrender to that, and we'll equip you and pray for you, and we'll, we'll get you started on that path. If God's called you into the ministry, you come and we'll do that too. It'll be exciting. Come on. But there's this, and I've been studying it in Scripture. There's this incredible beauty in the simple Christian life. The simple Christian, what I mean is this, that person who loves the Lord, loves their family, loves the people that God has put in their life, loves them enough to share Jesus with them, and they're dedicated, committed to the cause of Christ. They're dedicated and committed to their church, to their church family, to their family, and to the Lord. And tomorrow morning, Monday morning, they're going to get up and go to work and maintain their Christian testimony in that job where maybe everybody there doesn't maintain their Christian testimony. Does that make sense? And they're going to work, and they're going to please the Lord with their labor. And then at the end of the day, they're going to get off, they're going to go home, they're going to be going to soccer fields and ball fields maybe, or they'll be going home or doing whatever God's calling them to do. But they're being faithful just every day. There's beauty in that. And it doesn't get settled. There's not going to be a conference for you. We're not going to have a conference and bring up all the, the faithful believers that go to work every day, nine to five, and never sell the seven seas and put them on a platform and give them a hand. But it's the faithful believer, that us as Southern Baptists, it's a faithful believer through their giving and their praying and their going that has enabled us as a convention uh, to send the gospel all over the world, to be the single largest missionary sending force that the world has ever known in in the history of the world, Southern Baptist. And the only reason that happened is not because every person in every church has surrendered to be a missionary for the rest of their life overseas. The only reason why that happened is because you are good, faithful stewards of what God has given you, and you have given faithfully, you have prayed faithfully, and you have been committed to the cause of Christ right where you're planted. That is beautiful. No plaques, right? 
No plaques. Crowns in heaven. You are not a second-class Christian because you're a Christian. God wants you where he at. Now, if God wants you somewhere, you need to go. Don't misunderstand me. But there's something about that working man, that working woman in the home, out of the home, whatever it is, just faithful to God. It's beautiful. They shall walk and not faint. Everyday life, walking, putting one foot in front of the other. If you walk in your own strength, you're going to give out and get tired and get faint. The grind is almost more devastating to us than the storms. Does that make sense? The grind, the relentlessness of a schedule, of a calendar, of a Monday that comes, no matter what happened on Sunday, the grind can wear you down. The Bible says they shall walk and not faint. God says if you'll be obedient to me, you'll fly higher than your storm, run faster than your storm, but more importantly, you'll be able to walk with me every single day. And when it comes to heartaches and hurts and problems and storms and disappointments and desperation, and these things are going to come your way, you'll experience them with him. What we're tempted to do is fly away from the storm, run away from the storm, to walk away from the storm. When we get to these difficult times in our life, our prayer often is, God, get me out of this. Or oftentimes we have these difficult times in our life, our prayer is, God, when are you going to get me out of this? And we all know that the mature Christian should be asking, God, what should I get out of this? What do you have for me in this? These Jewish people that uh, Isaiah is speaking to here in this book of the Bible, these Jewish people, they had to wait another 600 years. Because this is it, guys. 600 years until a baby was born in Bethlehem. And it was worth waiting 600 years. They shall walk and not faint. Jesus Christ himself tells us that through his birth, his death, and his resurrection, that we can be confident in him, that we can be patient with him, we can be obedient to him, and we'll learn the good things that do come to us come to those who wait. We will walk and not grow faint. God always has a purpose for whatever we're going through. And we can trust it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much again for your word. For Lord, I thank you for this awesome book of Isaiah, your prophet, your man. God, I thank you so much for uh, just your godly wisdom that you have here for us. Lord, we thank you for the example. God, we thank you that when we go through our problems that you're there. God, that you will strengthen us, that you empower us, that you are with us every step of the way. Lord, forgive us when we try to do it ourselves. Lord, when we try to pump up some false motivation. Lord, when we try to push through and break through on our own energy, our own strength. God, help us. Teach us to rely on you to exchange our weakness for your strength. Lord, help us. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed, uh, no looking around. Assume a posture of prayer. Just pray right there in your seat. Maybe you're here tonight and all this that we have talked about, we've talked about uh, trusting God and obeying God and being patient with God. But the truth is right now, if you had to be honest, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you need that exchange that we were talking about. In these verses, we're talking about exchanging strength, right? But you need to exchange your sinfulness for his righteousness. What I mean is this. 
that when you come to the cross, when you see what Jesus did, the death, burial, and resurrection, so that he could save you and you could be forgiven because you need to be forgiven. You're a lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterator heart. You have sinned. You have a sin nature. And you have to come to that point where you know that you need to be forgiven of your sins and surrender your life to Christ. But it's like this. We talk about this several times. But the exchange that needs to happen, when we surrender to Christ, it's as if we're wearing a name tag that says sinner. And Christ is wearing a name tag that says righteous. And when we come and humble ourselves and we ask Christ to forgive us, it's as if he takes our name tag off of us and puts it on himself. Then takes his name tag that says righteous and puts it on us. Because he became sin for us at the cross at Calvary. And because of what he did, because of his sacrifice, you can be seen as righteous before a holy God. Do you have that? Is that true in your life? Really true? Why don't you pray to receive Jesus Christ right now? Man, you've got nothing to lose. Exchange. Maybe right there in your seat, you need to pray. You need to say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Lord, I turn from my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus. Forgive me. Lord, I'm placing my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, all of you, I surrender. All of me. Then maybe you need to pray, Lord, help me. Help me to make that decision public. Help me to grow in my faith and trust for you. Give me your strength.